Daily Drive is brought to you by eBay Motors. Auto dealers, are you missing the most engaged buyers because you don't know where to find them? At eBay Motors, you'll find buyers so motivated, they purchase a car or truck once every three minutes. Just call 866-210-5362 and mention code AUTONEWS to get 50% off your first two months. Butters, Chief Content Officer at Automotive News. Welcome to Daily Drive for Tuesday, July 6, 2021. Tesla's growth has surprised many analysts and rivals, but sometimes it's hard to get a clear view of its progress. The company has been a disruptor in many ways. Its all-EV lineup, its direct sales model, its virtually all-equity compensation plan for CEO Elon Musk, The Palo Alto, California-based company is also unconventional in how it reports vehicle sales. When it was getting started, most companies reported U.S. sales monthly. Tesla reported them only quarterly and only globally, not breaking out results for the lucrative U.S. market. Since then, several large automakers, including General Motors, have gone to only quarterly reports. Over time, Tesla's communications have evolved It now focuses on quarterly production and deliveries as its key metrics. Those are good, but still lacking in country-specific data, which is useful for understanding societal trends and the effects of government policies, as well as the competitive landscape. For the U.S., one method that puts all automakers on the same footing is the examination of registrations, how many new vehicles are registered with state governments in a given month. Experian is a company that's probably best known as one of the big credit rating agencies, but it's also one of two researchers to routinely scour every state's registrations to see what insight the data holds. Brad Smith is Experian's Vice President, Automotive Market Insights and Product Management. In today's Daily Drive, he's going to explain how the company is able to track consumer behavior in an ethical way and the insights it provides for the auto industry including what it reveals about Tesla's surprising success. We reached Brad Smith, working remotely in northern Michigan. Brad Smith, welcome to Daily Drive. Thanks for having me, Jamie. It's a pleasure to be here today. Great. Well, everyone in the industry is familiar with sales data. Automakers announce it each month or each quarter. And from my perspective, as a longtime auto journalist, I tend to think of it that uh, you know registration data uh, which which you work with is slower. Uh, it takes longer to you know. It's not as timely, uh, but uh, presumably it's more accurate. Uh, is is that right? And uh, more importantly, why is it that way? Yeah, a- absolutely. And you hit the nail on the head. Uh, there is there are latency with registration data, uh, no doubt about it. Uh, and that latency comes from you know we're dealing with fifty states, right? That are that are that have 50 different processes for compiling and sending the data and the frequency at which they send those data uh, are different. Uh, So we need to compile those data uh, and then we enhance those data with data from other sources. Uh, So we receive sales data and other sources. And really what we're doing is is reconciling the registration data and the other data assets that we get to create a unique and comprehensive vehicle transaction event. Uh, With our goal is to create the most accurate and actionable data for industry participants so that they can make good decisions based upon the, those data. Now, one thing it seems, uh, is registration data particularly telling for loyalty analysis? Is there documentation or are you able to uh, you know, triangulate 
to really see what is traded in for what? Yeah, and there, so I've spent uh, the majority of my career working on, on loyalty and repurchase analysis and, and vehicle conquest and defection uh, related uh, metrics. Uh, and really what you're looking for with loyalty, there's a number of different ways to calculate loyalty. Uh, but what you have to start with is a vehicle transaction event. So if you, Jamie, go and buy a vehicle today and you can buy a Chevrolet Silverado, uh, what our methodology is going to do is, is, you know, one, in a statistical environment, you know, using de-identified data, uh, you know, aggregate, you know, those transactions. But we first have to reconcile, hey, what'd you have in your garage? Um, so we're looking uh, to, to best pair. And there's a couple of different ways you can do that. Uh, one, you can say, hey, what did Jamie trade in at the dealership? Did he trade in anything? Uh, two, uh, you know, what, what vehicle in the garage was the best loyal generating event in the garage? You know, what was the vehicle that actually caused Jamie to, to buy that Silverado? Was it another, another Chevrolet vehicle in your garage? Maybe you had a Camaro and you were so enamored with the Chevrolet brand that you went and bought a Silverado. Um, or there's actual replacement methodology. Uh, you know, you, maybe you had a Ford F-150. Uh, and you sold that, uh, and you bought the Chevrolet Silverado. Uh, and in that case, you would be a defection from Ford and a conquest for Chevrolet. But you really need the registration data uh, to be able to do that. Uh, and with the you know, handling of the registration data, it comes with great responsibility because uh, first and foremost, we have to protect uh, the personally identifiable information that exists. You know, we have to be good stewards of consumer data. Uh, we do that on the credit side of the business, uh, and we have to based on uh, the Fair Credit Reporting Act and, and Graham-Leach-Bliley. Uh, but on the registration data side of the business, there's the Driver's Privacy Protection Act, uh, which gives us 14 use cases from which we can use uh, vehicle registration data. Uh, things like uh, vehicle recall, right? You know, that's a situation where if a manufacturer has a defect and a consumer has to be aware of that defect, it's a safety issue, Right. So, you know, consumers need to be communicated with. Um, but uh, then, you know, but de-identifying those data and creating a statistical report, uh, you know, it r runs no risk to consumers. Uh, and in, you know, us being a credit bureau, being good stewards of, of consumer data, uh, consumer credit data, uh, as well as us being uh, one of three uh, consumer databases in the United States, you know, we, we're tasked with managing a lot of consumer data and have a lot of technology in place uh, to encrypt data uh, and, and make sure that our products are free of personally identifiable information so that we can uh, generate the insights that the industry needs uh, to make good decisions. It's so interesting, even when it's you know, de-identified that you are able to see into the household fleet, you know, and uh, especially when we're gonna talk a little later about EVs and you know, making a, an EV work uh, in a modern life you know, with in the with the infrastructure that we currently have, they can be really useful within a family fleet, not necessarily as the entirety of a family fleet. Right. You can run into issues. You know, you start looking at fleets within a garage, right? Uh, you know, you have uh, adult children that live in the home, right? How do you how do you separate them? Uh, yeah. So there's there's a lot of different uh, things that that we look at. You know, differences between um, hashed consumer IDs versus hashed uh, household IDs. Uh, and so when we're, we're encrypting these data uh, so that we can use them for insights without exposing uh, the underlying consumer information uh, is much akin to the way cryptocurrencies operate, uh, you know, with cryptographic hashes uh, so that, you know, 
no one knows, you know, what the, what's going on, but there's the metadata associated with it that can be exposed and you can, you know, get some insights into the underlying transaction. Uh, so there's a lot of similarities between what we do and in, in the emerging cryptocurrency industry. Interesting. So one of the things that I really look to registration data for is insight on Tesla. Uh, Tesla is such a disruptive force in the industry, uh, by far the most valuable automaker on the planet, according to investors. Uh, but because they're as, as part of their style as a disruptor, they don't report sales the way everybody else does. They don't report U.S. sales every month. Uh, well, that's what everybody did when Tesla was getting started as a public company. Uh, and now more companies are following Tesla's example of only reporting quarterly. But Tesla also doesn't even report U.S. sales. They only do global. I, I do appreciate that they share production and delivery figures, but um, the lack of geography really limits the utility. But with the registration data, uh, we're really able to see what are the new Teslas registered in the U.S. and see how they how they fit. Is that something you hear from clients? Is that something that's coveted, or is is that just uh, you know people like me trying to trying to figure out what's going on in there? Well, yeah, everybody wants insights into what Tesla is doing. Uh, you know when. Tesla came to market, uh, I think the first product was launched in like 2007 or 2008 uh, when they, they came out with the, the Roadster. Uh, and I thought, oh, okay, this brand is going to die off pretty quickly. Um, and, and part of that was based on my ex personal experience with EVs in the past. Uh, I, was, I worked at the General Motors Proving Grounds uh, in the mid to late 90s, and I was driving uh, EV1 impact electric vehicles then. Uh, the, the challenge was that gas prices were really, really low, and General Motors was making a ton of profit on trucks and SUVs. So they scrapped the EV uh, program altogether, uh, only to fire it up again, you know, 20 years later. Uh, so when Tesla came to market with an EV, I was like, mm, I don't see it. You know, number one, the auto industry was full of established players uh, in, a, in a very hyper-competitive market. I'm like, there's no way this this brand that requires infrastructure and everything else is going to be able to gain share, and yet. They've done it, and they've done it swimmingly. And and not only have they they created a, a product um, that is that is fantastic, um, but they've also created a very very loyal owner base. Uh, so what we you know we were talking about loyalty here a minute ago, and, and we see very high rates of repurchase loyalty to Tesla. Uh, so when when a consumer is paying a high dollar uh, amount for a car, uh, as you see with Tesla. Uh, and it's a new technology, you know, where we had, you know, five years ago, there's a ton of range anxiety and all these other things that went along with EVs. Uh, but to see these customers come back and, and repurchase at a rates above 70% uh, shows that, hey, they've done a great job. Uh, and the, the fact that we can leverage the registration data, we're not dependent upon the manufacturer to provide those data to us. Now, um, you know, there's, there's, there's a ton of data sources that are out there. You can start to glean some insights. Uh, but really, you know, for us, we're trying to comp, uh, compile the most, as I said earlier, the most accurate and actionable uh, data in the automotive industry. Uh, and that includes across all participants. You know, we see counts of one or two coming in for brands as they start. And sometimes these brands go away um, and sometimes they scale. And in the case of Tesla, they're scaling. And, and what we're, we're seeing in the EV market is a ton of new entrants coming into the marketplace. You know, we have Polestar that uh, has vehicles in market. Uh, Lucid is coming. 
uh, Rivian is coming. You know, there are all these brands that are coming and they collectively, they're disruptive to the automotive industry as we know it. Tesla led the charge. Tesla showed them it was possible uh, in an environment where I don't think anybody thought that a new entrance uh, into the marketplace was going to give any share. Uh, and it's probably, and I'm sure Ford, GM, and Chrysler looked at Toyota and Honda the same way uh, as they started at the end of the market. It's like, yeah, whatever, they're not going to gain share. Uh, and then they did. And now Tesla's come to market and they've gained share. Uh, and, you know, Lucid and Rivian and all these other players are going to gain share. We'll be back for more with Brad Smith after this. The most motivated car buyers aren't knocking on your door anymore. They're online, but you don't have to look far. You can find them at eBay Motors. Our platform features over 7 million engaged users. Our buyers are so engaged, they enter over 3 billion search impressions per month and buy a car or truck every three minutes. Today's car buyer has high expectations when they browse online eBay Motors helps you meet those expectations. Use machine learning with our AI-driven vehicle pages, and you'll automatically optimize your buyer's experience. It's as easy as listing your inventory and watching as the most engaged buyers find you. If you've ever uploaded your automotive inventory to a website, you have more than enough skills to get your cars listed on eBay Motors. It will feel like you're setting up an entirely new car dealership within minutes. Once you list your available inventory, you'll have additional support from the platform, including a single destination page for your entire brand. Want to generate more sales automatically? eBay Motors lets you choose between auction, classified, and fixed-price listing options so the site does the heavy lifting. It even integrates with your existing dealer or vehicle management system. All you have to do is list your inventory. Sit back, relax, watch a movie, and then check back in to see the sales you've made. How do you start? It's as simple as creating an account. Call 866-210-5362 and mention the code AUTONEWS to get 50% off your first two months. Find out why selling cars has never been this easy. That number again, 866-210-5362. Another thing that's interesting that we see in the, in the Experian data is you know Tesla remains dominant and it had looked like maybe was Tesla going to be the EV equivalent to the Prius where you have a whole a whole powertrain that's basically defined by you know one vehicle or one brand in the way that Prius dominated hybrids uh, but their grip is uh, starting to, to slip a little you know uh, in 2020 uh, they had like 79% of the EV market in the first four months of this year it was 69% uh, you know it's the the maki uh, has come in and and made made a dent, and of course the the bigger older models uh, have been largely out of production this year, and so they've really fallen down the charts. The Model S and the Model X. Have you been watching that? And uh, what kind of patterns do you see in the EV sales? You know, whether it's on Tesla or kind of state by state. Well, uh, let, let me address the state by state issue first. You know, when when imports. Uh, initially entered the U.S. market, uh, they gained share on the coast, right? So the, on the west and east coast of the United States, and that's where the ports were, right? Those vehicles entered the ports, uh, and then they hit dealer lots close to the ports, and they gained share. And then over time, they kind of gradually, uh, you know, migrated across until they reached the heartland. Uh, we're seeing the same thing with uh, with Tesla and EVs, you know, and, but for different reasons, right? Uh, it, it, California, Oregon, Washington, definitely uh, more environmentally focused consumers. Um, and they don't have the inclement weather 
uh, like we have in Michigan, uh, for example. So, uh, you know, cold temperatures and batteries, still a, a little bit of a, a, an unknown, uh, whether, you know, how well or what the negative impact is to cold temperatures and batteries and, and, and uh, harsh driving conditions like snow and ice. Uh, but in those parts of the country, they were able to gain share. And then, you know, we see uh, some similarities between consumers on the West Coast and the East Coast uh, gaining share uh, for the EVs. Um, you know, as it relates to uh, Tesla gaining share or, or uh, Tesla losing share to other EV entrants, uh, I think it's the same argument that we saw with Tesla taking share from the big dominant players uh, initially, right? You, when anytime you have a new entrance into the marketplace, the, the, the market doesn't grow. Um, you know, historically, we, we last five years or so, we've seen 17 million units uh, around that. COVID obviously negatively impacted that. But when a new entrant enters the market, the market size doesn't grow. We didn't go from 17 million units to 18 million units because a new product uh, or a new brand entered the marketplace, right? That's that 17 million units is still distributed across the, the, those players. So with every new entrant, uh, the existing manufacturers seek to lose share. Uh, and with Tesla, as more manufacturers enter the EV space, and they're all entering the EV space. They all have very significant plans to, to be, you know, majority EV uh, over the next, you know, 15, 20 years. Uh, that's going to eat into Tesla dominance. And so Tesla can't just, you know, sit back and be like, hey, we got a really cool electric car that has all this great technology on the inside. Um, they're going to have to continue to reinvent. And if they don't do that, they're going to lose share. Uh, and they're going to lose share to the, the, the companies that continue to reinvent themselves. Brad, a, a few years ago, you suggested that uh, it could take more than 20 years before EVs uh, earn a significant market share. How do you feel about that timeline now? Does it seem like the regulatory and investor attitudes have evolved in a way that changes the trajectory, really accelerates that timeline? Uh, I don't think so, Jamie. I mean, and there, and there's two, two, two metrics uh, that you have to look at. There's, there's one, the share of new vehicle sales. Uh, and then the second one is vehicles in operation. Uh, so when we look at share of new vehicle sales today, uh, EVs account for like 2.3% uh, of, of all vehicle transactions. Uh, and, you know, gasoline vehicles are still 95%. And you got some diesels in the mix and some uh, propane vehicles and other alternative fuel types that have, you know, shares of less than 1%. Uh, so it's going to take a long time uh, to, for the industry, a lot of EV sales to, to you know, go from 2.3% uh, to even 50% to where we can really start saying, hey, you know what, it's, it's the end of the gasoline or the internal combustion engine as we know it. Uh, and then when you look at vehicles in operation, it's an even longer timeline because we have 281 million vehicles uh, on U.S. roads and highways today. Uh, and of those, EVs represent a fraction. Uh, I, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but if I had to guess, I would say it's six tenths of one percent, uh, perhaps even less. Uh, so, you know, if we're only selling 2.3 percent of all vehicles are EVs, it's going to take a long, long time to, to you know, have that 281 million vehicles become mostly EVs. Uh, you know, it, our average age of vehicles on the road is uh, over 11 years now. Uh, so all those gasoline vehicles that are being sold today are still going to be on the road in uh, 2032. Uh, so, you know, so it's going to take a long time before we see uh, the majority of EVs on the road. And then, and, but there's a number of different things that are going to impact that, right? Uh, consumers are going to need to retrofit their homes to have uh, appropriate EV charging. 
you don't just plug a Tesla into 110 volts. You can, but you're going to be waiting two days for it you know, to completely charge, uh, which is inefficient. So consumers are going to have to retrofit their homes. We're going to need more EV charging stations on the roads. Um, I think uh, in the in the in the medium term horizon, we're still going to have internal combustion engines for road trips. Uh, you know, road trips are uh, an, an American cultural thing. And, you know, it's not uncommon for people in New York and Pennsylvania and Michigan to drive to Florida for the winter. Uh, it's going to be a long trip in an EV if you got to stop every 300 miles and spend some time charging your vehicle. So uh, for that, those types of travel, uh, internal combustion engines, I feel are going to be around for some time. But we're going to start to see, I think, uh, and the metric that I'm most curious about is, is what does garage mix look like? You know, do we have like a suburban uh, paired with it, with an EV in a garage? And so the EV is for the, the short route in-town uh, commuting. Uh, and then the, the, the big SUV or the Suburban or the Escalade uh, or the Excursion, whatever it is, uh, is there for those, those family trips and the, and the weekend getaways. Very likely a solution might make a real dent in uh, carbon output. Yep, it's uh, you know we're, we're gonna it's not just gonna be where we flip a switch and everyone's driving an EV one day. Yeah. Uh, you know it's it's gonna take some time and, and I think consumers are going to kind of dip their toe in initially. Okay, well that's all the time we have, Brad. Thanks so much. Uh, it's been a pleasure to speak with you, Jamie. Thanks for having me. That's Daily Drive for July 6, twenty twenty one. For the latest breaking news online go to autonews.com. For a complete library of more than 300 Daily Drive interviews, go to autonews.com slash daily drive. Thanks.